thanks, Caleb. It's on. I think we're good. Um, so, good morning. Uh, my name is Evaristo, as uh, as you guys know, uh, and I'm one of the deacons in the church. Uh, I've been at the church for quite a number of years now, and I enjoy coming here. Uh, Pastor Dwayne asked me to help out with the Sunday talk this morning, uh, while he's away on vacation, obviously. And, and this morning, I'm going to touch on a few issues uh, during the talk. Um, I'm going to talk a bit about myself, how my family ended up in Canada. I'll also chat about the, the sin of indifference and how, if we are indifferent with what's going on around us, um, it can lead to horrendous consequences. Let me just start by saying I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a proud Christian, so I love the Lord. Uh, when I say that, you know, right at the, at the beginning, it sort of sounds like some sort of waiver or a disclaimer. Um, it kind of is, actually, uh, because some parts of this morning's talk uh, or this morning's chat are going to be kind of heavy. Um, so I just want us to, to, to start on, a, on, that, on that good footing. Um, so when I claim to be a Christian, when we say Christianity, what is it? So I got curious and I wanted to find out what exactly the dictionary meaning of this word is. We all know the colloquial meaning, the everyday meaning, of course. I was just curious to find out what the dictionary actually said. So it says, the religion based on the person and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth or its beliefs and practices. And the explanation goes on to say, open quotes, many people think that going to church occasionally or simply believing in God makes them a Christian. But the Bible presents a different perspective and definition of a Christian. A Christian is someone whose behavior and heart reflects Jesus Christ. Close quotes. So, fundamentally, when we look at this description, Christianity is a unitary belief system that is about actions and emotions that reflect Christ and his ways. Because the description that I've just read there says, whose behavior and heart reflects Jesus Christ. So to be a Christian, you have to not only feel what you feel, but you also have to act. You have to be a person of action. We have to be Jesus followers. We have to, do, to try and do what Jesus did at the very least. So the belief in Christianity is manifested through our actions. That is how we, we, we see what Christianity is about. It's through our actions. So the only way for the world to see or observe that you and I are Jesus followers is through how we act, right? Admittedly, though, how we practice Christianity and how we came to it is vastly different. And that's okay. I used to have a boss um, that I worked with uh, a few years ago who knew exactly the time he was saved. He knew the day, the time, um, the month, the year that he was saved. Um, I, on the other hand, I, I do not have that aha moment. Um, I had the blessing of coming from a country, a community, a clan, a family, uh, that, that where Christianity was the norm, not the exception. It was about which church do you attend rather than do you go to church. 
And if you did not attend church, you were the outlier. I was born and raised in the church. That, however, comes with its own issues, challenges. Um, and I will return to that a bit later on. Because when you are raised knowing something, and that's all you know, there's risks to that. So I'll switch gears again here and, and talk about something completely different because I'm now going to touch on that indifference part that I, that I referenced earlier on when I started. Now, as an African, I am an African, by the way, um, <laughs> um, my faith has occasionally struggled with the brutal way that Christianity was introduced to Africa. So this is the heavy part of the sermon that I, I referenced earlier on. Um, you see, I come from a continent that endured over 300 years of chattel slavery. Um, in addition to the economic reasons that this was done, it was, it was also done, or alleged to be done, uh, to Christianize and civilize the peoples of that continent. So at worst, it was done in the name of Christianity and to civilize a so-called barbaric people. And at best, it was carried out with Christian indifference. For the good part of 350 years, 350 years of men, women, and children being forcibly and violently taken from their homes, from their families, from their societies, lives, loves, and dreams ripped apart in agonizing instances all over the continent. So when I think of 350 years, I, 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 I often you know, heard 350 years or 300 years, <clears throat> I never actually conceptualized what that meant over time, in the arc of time. So to put that number into perspective, imagine that from now until the year 2400, so not, not 2100, not 2200, not 2300, but 2400, and alien people coming into Canada, violently stripping us of all our able-bodied young men and women, plus our oil resources, all the oil sands we have up north, the uranium we have in northern Saskatchewan, the timber that we have all across the country, cut it away to an unknown land, day in, day out. All in the name of an economic system foreign to you. While at the same time, some of these aliens insist that you should change your Christian religion and values to follow their religion, which is also wholly foreign to you. And the solution to your pain and anguish is given by the oracles and religious men that they came with is to get on your knees and pray for a better day and a better never, never land only after you die. Um, and that you shouldn't really focus on the joys and riches of this world here and now, but look to a better hereafter. What I'll do to just round this off, because I, I know it's a, it's a heavy topic, I will read and accept um, from a certain bishop at the time of the Episcopal Church in Georgia, USA. His name was Stephen Elliott. Um, and, and it reflected some attitudes at the time, of course. I mean, we have to put this into the time context that it belongs to. Uh, at the, 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 the attitudes at the time in the church. Open quotes. For nearly a hundred years, the English and American churches have been striving to civilize and Christianize Western Africa. And with what results? Around Sierra Leone and in the neighborhood of Cape Palmas, a few natives have been made Christians and some nations have been partially civilized. 
But what a small number in comparison with the thousands, nay, I say millions, who have learned the way to heaven and who have been made to know their savior through the means of African slavery. And at this very moment, there are from three to four million Africans educating for earth and for heaven in the so, in the so vilified southern states. I will leave it there. Of course, we all know that slavery was eventually abolished through the hard work and diligence from a combination of the enslaved people themselves, the abolitionists like William Wilberforce that we all know, and other Christians who rightly, who rightly saw slavery as an unsustainable blight on Christ's body. As we all know, the arc of time will progress, and it did in this case, um, to a time when I was born. Um, and I was born a few centuries later after this in Zimbabwe. I was born into a system of colonialism until I was about nine years old in the then Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. And for all, all you guys who know, colonialism is a system of segregation like apartheid, those who are familiar with apartheid in South Africa. Again, this was a system perpetrated through a few people who abused, not used, abused the word of God and manipulated it for their own purposes. This, this is what humans do to each other. Right? It's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that we, we oppress each other when you take advantage of each other. So the reason I juxtapose these two scenarios, the colonialism and the slavery, um, these two scenarios in the same, you know, is, um, let me just read that again. The reason I juxtapose these two scenarios is that some of the architects of the systems I've just mentioned claimed that they were civilizing and spreading the kingdom of God when in fact they were manipulating and abusing the word of God for their own selfish motives. However, even knowing this, I still struggle with the history of Christianity, especially the indifference shown not by everyone, mind you, but by a large part of the Christian world at the time. However, there are two things that give me comfort when I think about this episode in history. The first one is, after emancipation, Generally, the enslaved people did not necessarily become bitter and vindictive. In some cases, they were truly magnanimous and forgiving in their outlook. So who am I to have a righteous anger and be upset on their behalf when they were in fact willing to forgive? Second reason, when we think about, when we think about it as Christians, by suffering and enduring an excruciating death on the cross, Christ put himself in the position of a slave in order to free us from the enslavement of our sins. So he made himself into a slave so that we will never be enslaved again. That's a great message. But the bigger question I ask myself is, who am I right now showing indifference towards? It's great to point fingers and say, okay, this is what these people did 300 and 400 years ago. Right now, right here, who am I showing indifference towards? If I'm not diligent and compassionate, I could very well be one of those slave owners 350 years ago. I must introspect and not be indicted in three to four hundred years from now when someone asks, Evaristo, where were you when God's people were being persecuted? 
Evaristo, where were you when God's people were going hungry? Where were you when God's people were sleeping on the streets in the cold of night? And where were you when God was weeping for his people? Indifference. I'll switch gears a bit. Again, um, as pointed out, my name is Evaristo Mpanguri. My wife, Ajine, uh, and son Rufaro, at the time my son was five, we landed uh, at Vancouver International Airport in Canada in August 2001. Uh, it was a great day, really, really, um, we'll never forget that day. I had been accepted in the business program at the beautiful University of Saskatchewan, for those of you who have been there. So we came to Canada on a student visa. So we came from a country in Southern Africa called Zimbabwe. It's a beautiful country. Uh, if you have an opportunity to visit, please do. Um, the journey was motivated by my wanting to expand opportunities for my family by furthering my education. So our story of coming to Canada is not one of escaping persecution, uh, religious or political. Ours was a journey that was almost as ordinary as a couple and their child going for a vacation in a faraway land. My wife and I grew up in, in middle-class families in the city of Harare. My wife's dad was a principal at a city high school, and their mom was an elementary school teacher. They're both retired now. My dad was a banker. My mom was a part-time entrepreneur and a homemaker, also retired. We both grew up in Christian homes, and Christianity has always been in our genes. My grandfather was instrumental in the, I think I've pointed this out before, in the construction of the church in a village in our ancestral home. Uh, the old church still stands to this day, uh, albeit rather precariously. It needs you know, a lot of repairs and stuff like that, but uh, it still stands. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the big story. So back to my story of how we, we actually came to Canada. As I said, our coming to Canada was not at all dramatic. Uh, my wife and I would go to the Canadian consulate in an upper-class um, suburb in Harare. It was on a quaint street lined with jacaranda trees. I don't know if you guys would know what jacaranda trees are. You do? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, you will. Um, you do have them in South Africa as well, right? Great, yeah. Um, they bloom beautifully. Um, the consulate itself was in a stately, like, colonial mansion turned into offices. That's where my wife and I would spend afternoons lounging in their waiting area or living room, uh, waiting for the consulate officials to process our paperwork. And at the time, we were running a stuttering tr passenger transport business, and it started out of existence after a few years. Um, when I look back on my life, I'm 52 years old now. What I know for sure, without a doubt in my mind, is that I have been blessed, and by the grace of God, I live a charmed life. I live a life that has essentially no problems. Glory to God for that. Um, of course, like everyone else, I have daily annoyances that we all suffer. You know, it's too hot today, or you know, it's, uh, what, whatever it is, or my car is not starting, or you know, I, hate my, I hate my boss at work, whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> but in as far as problems, real problems, none. I'm happy to say the Lord has blessed me abundantly. 
However, that very thing or the very thing that I celebrate, I'm celebrating with you right now, today, this morning, the blessings that God has given me, is a blind spot. It's a huge blind spot. It breeds indifference and complacency. I've seen it in my life. Comfort in the good life breeds indifference. Not only to the world around me, but to God's word as well. A sense of entitlement sets in. You're always asking yourself, how come I don't have a bigger house or a bigger car while everybody else has, has got those things, right? That's entitlement. Um, to a certain extent, no, no, I, I think I should say this. Not only a sense of entitlement will set in, but outright pride also manifests itself. We become prideful. So we become blessed, right? And then we become entitled as a result, and then we become prideful after that. So to a certain extent, I have become like the slave owners or the people who stood and quietly benefited from the spoils of slavery while people suffered. So it's great for me to talk about what happened 300, 400 years ago and say, yeah, you know, these guys were bad. Yes, they were. But who am I and what am I and what am I doing with my present circumstances? Because those were their present circumstances. I have my circumstances that I need to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. I can testify. It is very easy to be a bystander while the world needs you. It, it is very easy to be indifferent. Um, I will read from the book of Obadiah. He will help us illuminate our way on this subject. Um, and I'll also borrow bits from a sermon done at the Cruciform Church of Christ. For those of you who've got Bibles, let's open to Obadiah chapter 1, uh, verses 10 to 11. It says, For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you as one of them. So this was, you know, a case of Israel and Edom. Edom did not come to the aid of Israel when um, uh, Israel was being attacked by its enemies. So Edom is guilty of nothing else but the sin of indifference, which is described as a lack of interest, a lack of concern, or a lack of sympathy. Their indifference is described as a violence. That's how serious indifference is. Obadiah says to Edom, you are guilty because of what you did to Israel. Their inaction to help Israel was in fact an action in itself. It was an inaction, it was an action of indifference. Indifference is what happens when we just don't care about a situation someone is in or when we don't care enough to actually do something about the situation. It's the sin of seeing someone who is in need and doing nothing to help them out. 
It's the sin of seeing someone who's being mistreated and not stepping in to stand up for them. And how many times have we done that throughout our lives? As in different people, we fail to notice the people in need. We just don't get involved. And we fail to take a stand for what is right. And we justify what we do with some pious-sounding phrases like, it's none of my business, I don't want to get involved, or, you know, live and let live, or whatever uh, rationale we, we all use at different times when we approach you these situations. Another good example of someone not showing indifference is let's think about uh, Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan. We all know that story. And in that story, we recognize that the Samaritan is the one who helped the Jew who had been robbed and beaten to a pulp. So we know who was indifferent in this case. We are all aware. It was the priest and the Levite. They did not do anything. They felt no compassion or empathy. If we think back, I, th I might be wrong or right on this, but the history during those times, Samaritans were outcasts. And additionally, they were sworn enemies with the Jews. However, that did not stop the Samaritan from helping the Jew on the side of the road. So th that's another thing to remember when we are, when we are trying to conquer indifference, let's just not do what's comfortable. It's easy to help a neighbor you know, to help a family member, to help you know, a workmate. Or, you know, those are easy things to do. It's easy to stand up for those people. Right? How easy or how difficult is it to help or stand up for complete strangers? Right? It's very easy to just keep walking while you, know, you, you leave people um, in trouble or um, without you know, shelter, or without something to eat or whatever. Right? For strangers, it's very tough. For those we know, it's very easy. So in this particular case, it's a very good example of conquering indifference because the Good Samaritan went past the differences that they had and recognized that this was a brother, this was a brother in Christ that they needed to help. Now, let me bring all this together now. <clears throat> One, Christianity um, is not only about words and feelings. It has a lot to do with action. Two, human history is littered with indifference in times when fellow humans could have done better. I picked slavery today. I'm sure you all can come up with different historical events or times. However, one has to be careful when they point fingers or when we point fingers at other people's indifferences because self-reflection will reveal one's own indifference. Number three, we are mostly a blessed people, generally. This is what I see around me. However, sometimes 
is those blessings that are specifically our undoing because we become indifferent and complacent towards God's people and his word. Number four, by being indifferent and doing nothing, we're actually sinning. It's as simple as that. Number five, no matter the differences between us, we're all God's people and have to be there for each other, just like the Good Samaritan. I, I want to read something from a guy called Frederick Douglass. He's a, uh, he was a former, a former slave who, um, oh, I can't find it here now. Just give me one minute, please. I, I will have it. Okay. The reason why I think this is important is he had the insight to actually, at the time, to tell the difference between true Christian churches and those churches that were not Christian. Right? Um, so he had that clarity of thought, um, despite everything that was going on at the time. So he says, reviewing the work of the white churches, Frederick Douglass said this to say, between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore, by definition, hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. That was Frederick Douglass. Um, so to end, let me see what time it is. Oh yeah. So to end, I'll just read from Ezekiel. Um, I know uh, Pastor Dwayne normally ends with a prayer, but I'll end with a, with a reading from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 25 to 27. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from this land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing and I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.